Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad you're with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. It is so good to see all of you. If you're connecting online, thank you for staying connected that way and growing and serving. We want to keep doing that for you as long as we need it. In fact, we plan to just continue uh, like we were before, always offering an online service as well. Uh, and we're happy to do that. And I love looking out in person and seeing the, the smiling faces behind the mask at our services. I can tell when you're smiling even behind the mask. It shows in your eyes. It shows in your eyes if you're smiling. And, and I'm so glad that so many of you can be here and uh, we can do what we need to do to make it possible to be back in person right now. And I'm excited about the children's uh, programming starting back up on, on all of our campuses uh, and our youth programming on all of our campuses. Uh, we're still going to use protocols, safety precautions all along the way but we, uh, we understand the value of those programs. And so again, if you would like to volunteer and help out, please just uh, email us or call us at the office. Let us know that you'd like to, uh, to find a way to help out and be a part of that. We'll be glad to get you connected. I remember uh, a joke from a long time ago, uh, and, and it's, uh, it ties in with the message today. It goes like this. When I die, I wanna go peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather did. Not screaming in fear like the passengers in his taxi. <laughs> Whether it's in life or death, we, we like peace, don't we? We would like to have peace. And we're in a series called Navigating the New Normal. And what we see in our culture, in our country, and even around the world, are some people who are able to navigate the new normal and still have peace, but there's a whole lot of people struggling with this having peace in the middle of this new normal. And even Christ followers will struggle many times with having peace. And so today, we're focusing in this series, we're in the book of Philippians, and, and Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He's experiencing a new normal. He's under house arrest. He's been through being arrested, being beaten, being shipwrecked. He's gone through all kinds of stuff. Now he's under house arrest. He ends up being under house arrest for two years. And yet the theme of this letter is joy and rejoicing. And in the section we're looking at today, he emphasizes the ability to have peace, even in the new normal. I hear people all the time, they're almost panicking. Oh, are these the last days? Well, well, yes, they are. I want to remind you again, these are the last days. They have been the whole time since the time Jesus went back to the Father. We've been in the last days. So how do we have peace in these last days times with whatever's going on? Uh, I just want to clue you in. Every generation of Christians since the time of the first church have thought they were in the last days and thought Jesus was coming back then. Every single generation, without exception, they interpreted the times that they were living in as the last days. That's a good thing. Eventually, one of us is going to be right. <laughs> so how do we need to be living in the last days with this new normal that we're dealing with? Well, Paul's talking about that in this whole letter. And in the passage we're in today, Philippians 4, if you want to open up there, pull it up on your smartphone or tablet, Philippians 4, we're going to pick up with verse 1 and see three areas of peace that he teaches us that we can have as Christ followers. Now understand this, he's not saying other people can have peace like this. He's saying this is a promise and assurance 
for those who know Jesus and follow Jesus, that we can have peace under any and all circumstances. So the first area of peace that he starts with is peace with one another. Have any of you noticed in the news there's a little bit of conflict going on in the world? Guess what? There has always been conflict going on in the world. Maybe not in your world, but somewhere in the world, there's never been an extended length of time that the whole world was at peace ever in the history of the world. So for us to think peace depends on the whole world getting their act together, that's not happening. So how can we have peace in the middle of, with one another, in the middle of the world not being at peace the way we would like for the world to be at peace? One poet has said this, I like this, to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, that's a different story. We have to deal with people, and people are imperfect and flawed. Even your pastor, yeah. We're all flawed, deeply flawed people. And so to have peace with each other, there's got to be something more than just depending on the circumstances around us or, or other people always doing what we want them to do all the time. You're never going to get that. So how can we have peace with one another without that? Well, listen to Paul's words, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I want to stop there for just a minute. How does Paul describe his brothers and sisters in the church at Philippi? Listen to his words again. Brothers and sisters that he loves that he longs for, that are his joy and crown. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think everybody in the church at Philippi was always doing the right thing? Do you think they all had their act together, were mature followers of Jesus? No. In fact, he has to address some of the things they weren't doing right, weren't doing well in this letter. So that kind of affection for others doesn't depend on them always doing the right thing. Always get, having their act together. Always making the choices you think they ought to make. It's not dependent on that. This peace and this love is a choice that you make even when other people aren't acting the way you want them to act. There's a power to be able to do that from God through His Spirit that we don't have naturally, normally in the flesh. That's why the world can't have this peace we're talking about, but Christ followers can. We have the ability with God's help to love people like that even when we're not necessarily in agreement with everything in their lives. That's powerful. And that's the only way to really be able to have peace because you can never control everybody else. Make them do what you want them to do the way you want them to do it. You can't ever do that. So if you're going to have peace, it's got to be again with looking at other people through the eyes of God and loving them like God loves them. Okay? So... We're going to have peace with one another. Listen to his description. And then he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way. And he calls them again, dear friends. So in his love for them, his encouragement to them is, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. If you love people, isn't that what you want for their lives? You want them to have their relationship right with God, to be right with God in Christ. I mean, if you really care about people, that's what you want for them more than anything else. Even if they don't agree with you politically, even if they don't agree with you and other choices that you're making and they're making in their lives, 
you love them enough to want them to be right with God, to have that relationship intact with God. That's more important than any of that other stuff. So that should be the focus of how we interact and deal with people, is wanting them to have that. Then he says, he, he, he mentioned some people by name uh, to address some problems there. Remember, they're not perfect in Philippi, but he loves them anyway. But he addresses one of the problems that's going on there. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, if you don't think that's the way those names are pronounced, I'm okay with that. I don't know. All right. I just made that up. I don't really know how to pronounce those names. That's close enough, though. Okay. So these two ladies evidently are having some kind of conflict with each other. And they're part of the church family. They're part of that group that Paul says, I love you. You're dear to me. I want only the best for you. But here's what I want you to do. I'm pleading with you to do this. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, what it means is we don't have the details. And Paul understands. See, Paul's mature enough to know that not everybody needs to know the details when there's conflict. He's not going to announce all the details to the whole church family of what's going on there. It's not necessary. Sometimes church members want to know all the details, all the scuttlebutt on any problems, anything that's going on. Uh, mature leaders don't do that. Mature followers don't ask for that. We just understand if there's a conflict, we all need to pray that these people can work it out. That they can get things back to where they need to be without having to know all the details of it. That's what leads to peace, when you're not stirring the pot by spreading rumors or gossip or details about something that's going on. That's part of keeping the peace. So Paul doesn't spread all the rumors or the details or the gossip. He just says, we need to take care of this. You ladies, I'm pleading with you, get, get this where it needs to be in your relationship with each other. And then he says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Okay, so he says, Without identifying the person by name, he says, I've got a companion in Philippi that I know is good at helping with these kinds of things. And I'm, I'm asking you to step in and help these two ladies with this conflict that they're having. What a great approach. He's not saying everybody needs to jump in on this. He's saying, I've got, a, I've got somebody that I know, a companion of mine there that I love and it's a true companion. That person can step in there and help out with this thing that's going on. And so he's calling on that individual to step in to this situation. But he gives more reason for why it's important that, that he reaches out through his companion to try to help these ladies. Listen to his description of these ladies. He says, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. He said, oh, these ladies have been involved in the work of the kingdom along with me and my side. See, that's part of what makes these relationships so important and precious, isn't it? When you serve together in the cause of Christ, there's something about that that deepens your relationship with each other. Now, if you've always stayed on the sidelines looking in, you can't ever develop those deep relationships that come with serving together in the body of Christ. But if you serve together with others, there are deeper bonds that are formed in those relationships. So Paul says, I want there to be peace between these ladies because these ladies are so dear to me and they've contended with me in the cause of the gospel. And he says, and with Clement and with others, all of you that have worked together on this, we all have been through some stuff together. 
So let's, let's resolve this and let's work together and have peace in the body of Christ. Nothing hurts the church more than division, criticism, and conflict going on in the church. It destroys the witness. It destroys the ability to have the, the example for the rest of the world that they need to have. You know what the world in conflict needs to see in the church more than anything else? They need to see that there's something about our relationship with Christ that allows us to have peace even in the middle of this. They really need to see that from us. And if they're not seeing it in the church, where are they going to find it? It's nowhere in the world. Just, just watch the news one day. That's all it'll take you. One hour. There's no hope for peace out there. Only the church has the answer that we need for peace. Only the church. And so if they don't find it there, there is no other place to go with that hope for peace. It is incumbent upon us as Christ followers to be instruments of peace in the midst of this turmoil and confusion and conflict and frustration. And Satan would like nothing better than to use you as an instrument of conflict and division in the middle of all this because he knows how that hurts and destroys the ability of the church to make the impact in the world that God wants us to make. That's why it's so ridiculous for us to argue over things instead of resolving them, instead of showing compassion and love to one another, even when we disagree on some things. Like, I don't think we ought to have to wear a mask. Well, who cares? Let's love each other enough to just do what we need to do, right? Let's just do that. Because we choose to do it for peace, for the witness of the church and the world. We can do that. That's not too much to ask. And we can disagree on some political things and still love each other and have peace. And we can disagree on a lot of things and still love each other and have peace. So he's trying to get them to resolve this because it's so important. In fact, Paul said in another passage in Romans 12 and verse 18, he said, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So not just those that are in the church, but with everybody. He says, as far, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. He says, it's not always possible because this doesn't always just depend on you, right? Other people can be determined to stir up conflict. And you don't get to control them, but you control you. So he says, as far as it's possible, as much as it depends on you, you choose to live at peace with other people. You don't get caught up in and participate, be, become a participant in the conflict that doesn't have to be there. You be an instrument of peace. Jesus said these words, blessed are the peacemakers. Not just blessed are people that like peace. Blessed are peace, what? Makers. You can love peace and still not be a peacemaker. He's saying you'll be blessed by being a peacemaker, okay? So God wants to use us in the middle of this new normal to still be blessed peacemakers in the middle of it. There was a guy, you may recognize the name, Alfred Nobel. Uh, you know him from the Peace Prize uh, that is out there under his name now. But at one point in Alfred Nobel's life, his brother died. 
And the local newspaper in the town where he was living at the time got confused and thought it was Alfred that had died. And they actually posted Alfred's obituary in the paper. Uh, they took it upon themselves to write about Alfred kind of in an obituary way about his life. Alfred got up that morning and he opened up the newspaper knowing his brother had died and saw his own obituary in the paper. He said, well, I want to read it anyway and see what they say about me, right? And he was shocked and disappointed by what he read. The main things they said about Alfred Nobel were these things. He was the inventor of dynamite. I don't know if you knew that about Alfred Nobel, but he was the inventor of dynamite. And they spoke of him as the inventor of dynamite, a manufacturer of weapons, and they called him a merchant of death. And it so hit him that he was thought of that way, that from that point on in his life, he gave much of his fortune and most of his time to trying to promote peace in the world. And he took his fortune and endowed the Nobel Peace Prizes in all those different fields from his own money out of his own pocket. Because he didn't want to be known as someone who stirred up conflict in the world. He wanted to be known and remembered as someone who brought peace as far as it was possible for him to do it. How would you like your obituary to read? How would you like for people to remember you in relationships with each other and as a church member, as a brother or sister in Christ? How do you want people to remember you? Think of you as a merchant of death and destruction or as a promoter of peace, a peacemaker? Well, peace with each other. Make every effort, he says in Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So God is instructing us through Paul and, he, and many other passages in Scripture that he wants us to be instruments of peace. The second thing, area of peace, that he wants us to see and, and be a part of is peace with yourself. You see, these things are related. I'm convinced more and more that one reason people have conflict with others is because they're not at peace in their own lives. And when you're not at peace in your own life, it affects every other relationship that you have. You're living on edge and you don't have peace. And so you're more quick to snap at people. You're more quick to complain and criticize because you're struggling yourself. Have you ever heard the phrase hurt people hurt people? Yeah, it's true. When you're hurting or not at peace, you tend to lash out at others more. We all do. Everybody does. And here's what's happening in this pandemic. It's wearing on all of us. No exceptions. I don't care how good a Christian you are, how mature you are in your walk with Christ. The longer this drags out, the more it's wearing on everybody. And when you get worn down, what are you more likely to do? Snap at others. Not respond as well. Not handle conflict as well. Because you're already feeling so uneasy anyway. And so we need to learn how, how can we have peace within our own lives so that we can be peacemakers for others. Well, let's look, begin with verse 4. This is the most familiar part, I think, of the Philippian letter right here, this section, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do you think he wants us to rejoice? I mean, this is not the first time he said it, but now he's repeating it again. Rejoice in the Lord when? In a pandemic? 
Yeah, in the middle of a conflict in the country? Always, right? Wow. You see, that'll make us stand out as a church, won't it? That'll make us stand out as individuals if we're rejoicing in the middle of all of this. Okay, so rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, that word gentleness, we don't have really in, in the original language. It's a word that we don't have an equivalent English word for. And so gentleness is the closest we can come. But it carries with, with the idea of a peacemaker. Okay, let your presence be one that brings peace into the room and not conflict into the room. That's what a gentleness is. Okay? It doesn't mean weakness in any way. In fact, this is a powerful thing to bring into a room, isn't it? To bring the presence of peace into the room. That's what gentleness is, okay? Your, your presence is not going to get people worked up. Your presence is going to bring a level of peace to the room, to your, house, to your home, <laughs> to, to your place of work, to your church gatherings. Your presence is going to bring an element of peace, he says. Let your gentleness be evident to everybody. And he reminds us the Lord is near. And, and that is, I think, double meaning there. He's near in the fact that he's right here for you all the time. Right? He's always right beside you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But he is also saying he's also near in the, in the sense that he's going to come back soon. Now, he wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. Were we in the last days then? Yes, we're still. But remember this. A day is like a thousand years for God. A thousand years is like a day, right? So even though it was 2,000 years ago, how long is that for God? A couple of days. A couple of days. A couple of days ago, he said the Lord is near. He's right at hand. Now, if you know he's right there for you, but you also know he could return at any moment, does that change the way you act? It should, shouldn't it? It should make a big difference in how we live and act. And that's what he's reminding them of. You, you need to be different because of the presence of God. Sometimes we think we're only in the presence of God when we're in the church service. No, you're in the presence of God all the time, friends. All the time. So we need to act like it. Like what we're doing, we're doing in front of God. What we're saying, we're saying in front of God. How we're acting, we're acting that way in front of God. All the time. Not just when we're in the church service. So if we're going to have peace with ourselves, we need to live like that. And then he says, all right, here's the instructions. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, all right, he's telling you, you want peace in your life? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in that two, two verses there, he gives us... Um, Three steps to take to have peace in your life. And first he introduces the idea, don't be anxious about anything. The word translated anxious means to be nervously worried about something. Okay. Now he's not saying you don't ever as a Christian have moments of that. He's acknowledging that we all have moments like that. But then he's saying, when you have those moments, when you're feeling that coming on in your life, how do you respond? What do you do to have peace when that comes on you? He gives us three simple steps to follow. The first one sounds a little bit elementary. He says, don't worry. Every time I read that now, since that song came out year, a few years back, I always think of it. Don't worry. Be happy. Right. And, and that sounds so simple. And you think, well, well, yeah, that's easy to say. It's not easy to do. Paul's not saying it's easy to do. He's saying, but it can be done. 
you can take what you're worried about, and if you take these steps with your worry, you can end up having the peace of God that transcends all understanding. But it begins with making a decision not to worry. Um, I've got news for you. The world won't help you with that decision. Okay? This is a personal thing that you have to choose. Nobody else can choose this for you. In fact, most of the people in the world will try to get you to worry about things. Uh, it's like the saying you may have heard. If you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs, you just don't understand the situation very well. That's the way the world looks at things, right? How, how, how can you possibly be at peace? That's why this peace is called the peace that transcends all understanding. You see, the world can't understand how you could have peace with all this stuff going on around you. But it begins with the choice to choose the peace of God with all of this stuff going on around you. That's why he can say as a command, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. In Matthew 6, Jesus talked about that in verse 31. He said, do not worry, <laughs> saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, with the uncertain economy right now, what are a lot of people worrying about? What's consuming them right now? All of those things, right? Those basic necessities of life. He says, instead, learn this, the pagans run after all these things. Now, the word pagan has gotten a bad rap. Uh, it, it, we, we, we think it is so judgmental to use a word like that. The word pagan simply means somebody who's not a Christian. Somebody who's not surrendered their life to Christ following Christ. That's, that's the word pagan, okay? It's a non-Christian. So he's saying non-Christian people get all consumed with that stuff. But he says, here's why you shouldn't. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. So instead of doing that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Wow. You know why you can have peace about those things? Because of your relationship with God. See, that's where not worrying begins. It begins with choosing to know and trust your father. That he's going to take care of you as his child. It doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. Or even give you things you need every time you want them in the timing you want them. It does, however, mean he's going to take care of his children. You can count on him. You can trust him. Sometimes I think he doesn't give it to us when we expect it just to get us to learn to trust him more. I'm convinced that's part of what he does. I think he's done that in my life. And I have learned to trust him more and learned that I don't control him. I need to let him control me. That's the way this is supposed to work. I don't get to control him. I surrender to him and he gets to control me. And he provides for me in his timing. I wanted to share this. It comes from Andy Stanley. I, I love a lot of his teaching and, and uh, listen to a lot of his podcasts. And he shared, this has been shared as from Andy. I didn't verify for sure that was the source, but, but he, he, he's given credit for recounting this happening. Here's what it says. Sometimes I just want it to stop. Talk of COVID, looting, brutality, I lose my way. I become convinced this new normal is real life. Then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam protest, and yet is still enchanted with life. 
He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said, slowly looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago not to see the world through the headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted my hand. Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether that I had been holding tight. They float away. I'm left with a renewed spirit and a new way to write my own headlines. It's time we start writing our own headlines with our trust in the Father and the Father's care for us. Worry could be defined this way. You might want to write this down if you'd like to take notes. Worry could be defined this way. Assuming responsibility that God never intended me to have. Assuming responsibility that God never intended me to have. He didn't give us the job of doing all that stuff and fixing all that stuff. He gave us the job to love him and love others. That's our job. Love God, love others. If we could stay focused where we need to stay focused, we'll be instruments of peace in the middle of all of this conflict. First Peter uh, 5, 7, uh, he teaches us that there's another uh, step we need to take. Not just don't worry, but be prayerful. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember what he said? Instead of worrying, in every situation, by prayer and petition, let your request be made known to God. So instead of worrying, what should we be doing? Praying. That's the next step. Don't worry. And instead of praying, instead of worrying, we start praying. Uh, instead of getting upset with people and attacking people, what should we start doing? Praying. Instead of posting that on Facebook, what should we start doing? Right. Start praying. You see, prayer doesn't always change things, but it sure does change people, doesn't it? It gets our hearts and our minds back on track where they should have been all along. And pray for the people that you have conflict with. <laughs> Nothing better to help you resolve conflict than to start praying for the people with whom you have conflict. Praying for them, for their hearts, for their lives, for them to be blessed. Because oftentimes the conflict is there because hurt people hurt people. They've got stuff going on in their life that you don't have any clue about. And maybe they're taking it out on you unfairly. But if we start praying for them, for God to heal them and bless them, oh man, it can make all the difference. And even if they don't change, it'll change you and your perspective on the situation. So he says, we need to follow this step. We need to start praying like we need to pray. Be a prayerful person. I love the reminder Paul gave in the Ephesian letter in Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14. Listen to this. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine or according to the power that is at work in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. When you pray to God, remember who you're praying to. Remember his power. Remember his love. Remember his promises. And it can help you have peace no matter what's going on. He can do immeasurably more than anything you could ever even imagine in your mind when you go to him in prayer. And the next step is to be thankful when you pray. Be thankful. He says to do this, take your prayers and petitions to God with thanksgiving. In the middle of a pandemic, can you think of anything you still need to be thankful for? Boy, I can, if I choose to, right? I can choose to focus on all this bad stuff, sure. Or I can choose to remember all the amazingly good stuff that God is doing and has done and promises to do in the future. I still know the love of family and friends. I still know the, the care of God for me. I still know the, the work God's doing in this place and all over the world where lives are being brought to a right relationship with him through Christ. I see so many good things in the middle of all this. And I see hearts being changed when it comes to, to uh, caring about people the way we need to. I see a lot of good things. And so we can choose to be thankful through all of this. Do we have a roof over our head? Do we have some food to eat, some clothes to wear? There's a portion of the world that doesn't even have those things, right? Don't we have a lot to be thankful for? So when we pray, instead of it being a complaint session... Start out with thanksgiving, thanking God for the good things. And that leads to the third thing, the final thing, and that is he teaches us we can have peace with God. He teaches us we can have peace with God. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And here's the result, he says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Some people have a personality type that leans more strongly toward pessimism, right? We all know that. Don't punch anybody that you're with today. We all know people that lean more toward being pessimist. I'm reminded of the true story of uh, an actress named Helen Hayes, an older actress, who was telling about the first time she decided to cook Thanksgiving meal for her family. She said, here's what I want to do. I'm going to try it. I've really been wanting to do this. I'm going to cook a turkey for us. And, and if I, I put it on the table, and when you take the first bite, if it's not good, we'll just get up and not say a word, and we'll go eat at a restaurant somewhere. Okay? So I did, she just told them that ahead of time. She told her husband and her son, if it's not good, we'll just go to the restaurant. So she worked for hours getting the turkey ready, and she came to the table. She says, it's about ready if you want to have a seat. So she came in to put the turkey on the table, and there was her husband and her son already had their hats and coats on. 
Just pessimist, right? Just knew it wasn't going to work out. Well, we need to understand that God doesn't call us to look at this world with pessimism. He calls us to look with hope, with the hope that we have in Christ. My life verse, I've told you many times, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I just want to remind you of what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Remember God's mercy, right? Start there. How, how much mercy he's shown you and shown me. In view of God's mercy, here's what we should do in response. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I've said this for years as a pastor. We have so misdefined worship in the church to be the service on Sunday or even just the music on Sunday as the worship time. When in fact, our whole lives are supposed to be given to God as an act of worship. That is our worship, how we live our lives. So he says, give yourselves to that as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your true and proper worship. And then he said this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's the world doing? Fighting and looting and arguing and, and dividing each other and all these different segments and groups. And he says, you shouldn't follow that pattern. That's not the pattern God's people are called to follow. There's a different pattern we're supposed to follow. Okay? Don't follow the pattern of this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And listen to this description of God's will. Good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. His plan for you, His will for you, is what's best for you. So let's stop copying the world and the pattern of the way the world is doing things. Let's, let's stand out. Let's be different. And so he gives us a filter for us to, to put into our lives on what we need to focus on. Eight things he talked about. What's true? Don't focus on the rumors and the gossip and the lies that are out there. You say, I don't even know what's true anymore. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth. Focus on that. What's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. You start focusing on those things. It will transform you from a person who's anxious and worried all the time to a person at peace in the peace of God that passes all understanding. You see, peace is not found in a plan. It's found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace. If you're looking for peace in your life today, then we lift up Jesus to you as the source of the peace that you're looking for. In John 16, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But he added this, in this world you're going to have trouble. What did he just say we could have? Peace. But then right after that, he says, in this world, what are you going to have? So you know what he's saying? It's possible to have both. It's possible to have trouble in this world, but in him to have peace, even though there's trouble in the world. What a promise. He said, take heart. Here's how this works. I have overcome the world. He's the only one that has, but in him 
all of us can too. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in Christ we can have peace. Peace that transcends all understanding. Peace that is greater than the problems and the troubles that are swirling around us all the time. Peace that can exist in the middle of that because of the hope that we have in Christ. I pray that if there's anybody who needs to to come to know the peace that you offer, that today they would open up their hearts and their minds to you and enter into that rest, to that peace that only you can give. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.